Welcome to Green Focus, a new podcast that aims to discover and showcase transformative Israeli green technology in order to understand it better and help leverage this technology to make a positive impact on our planet. Each episode will take a fresh look at the innovation and business impact happening in the green tech sector with guests including VCs, founders, technologists, and climate activists. In these conversations, we aim to discuss the pathways for leveraging cutting-edge innovation to attract investment and do business globally. And now, introducing the host of Green Focus and CEO of Focus IP, Yaron Damelin. Welcome to another episode of the Green Focus podcast, hosted by me, Yaron Damelin. Uh, and we like to try and kind of hone in on what is the special source of the Israeli tech community, in particular as it relates to green technology and transformative green technology. So I'm really happy to have Ed Frank here today with me. Um, you know, Ed has known you for a long time, and uh, I've been seeing you have a lot of uh, mileage and impact on lots of companies. I know you work with multinationals um, as well, but kind of in connecting them to startups. And I think that's a critical part of our innovation ecosystem. Um, and I'm really wanting to kind of get that narrative, that perspective from your side, from the investment side, um, how you're seeing the screen tech thing unplaying. Um, obviously, you know, we've seen tremendous changes and pressures of late, uh, both with the COVID uh, story and now with this kind of like major market uh, shakeup that's going on and crypto and everything else that's accompanying us. Um, so today's like really timely and exciting for me. And not exciting in the sense that we all may be feeling great about where we are, um, but on the other hand, that we're seeing huge changes shaking, shaking all around us. And, um, and on the other hand, I'm sensing that, you know, green tech has kind of got a, an importance beyond its weight right now, because, um, you know, we, we, I think the world's kind of got the need for it, although it's a long-term strategy. And investors have to come to the table and want to come to the table, I'm understanding more and more now, because they're seeing that that long-term game is something real, it's something tachless, as we say, and it's something which they need to put their money towards or their efforts towards, or their energies towards, because that is a future thing which is not a bubble and not some kind of a, you know um, script which should disappear in, into the air, but it's something real and something with us for a long time. So on that note, uh, welcome again. And I want to just dive in straight away and ask you, Ed. So Access Innovation, Access Innovation, uh, you know, is uh, an innovation and investment advisory. Um, we said before, you kind of uh, connect with exceptional startups. Uh, you kind of connect with them with multinationals who are looking for that type of technology. And um, can you tell me when did Access first start getting interested? in the green technology sector. Great, well, thank you very much, Yaron, for hosting me today. It's really uh, exciting. I think the space that you're looking at, the whole green focus is quite important. I, I was thinking a lot about really the first time we became interested in it, and I thought back, there were two things that came to my mind. The first is uh, actually my daughter. My daughter is an environmental activist, and she attended her first COP conference in Poland. Then she was in Spain and most recently in, in Scotland. 
And when we first had a discussion with her, she was talking about the impact on the world and the, the, the description of the event in Poland, which was probably about five or six years ago. And there wasn't a lot of attention. And she was working for an organization to help one of the large universities divest of their investments in fossil fuels. And it wasn't a subject that a lot of people spoke about. And ultimately, the universities around the world and in Israel, just as recently as last month, have decided to actually divest from investments in fossil fuels. So I thought about the, our first focus. And actually, in 2016, we had the pleasure of hosting in Israel the CEO of Mercedes-Benz, Ola Kalanias. And we spent a few days with him, introducing him to startups. And at that point, Tesla was just beginning to, to gain momentum as an electric car company. And Mercedes, as you know, is very much focused on commercial vehicles, but even more important, high-end passenger vehicles. And I asked him in a quiet moment, what kept him up at night? And I thought the answer was going to be Tesla, it was going to be Lexus and some of his competitors, but his answer was the carbon requirements that large auto companies had to deal with. And he was worried with the internal combustion engines that they weren't able going to meet their carbon limitations and that got me thinking and as i learned more about tesla over the years i realized that tesla actually made more money selling their carbon uh, over uh, over allocations to other companies over one billion dollars so if the car manufacturers which are probably one of the world's largest polluters were so worried about pollution and carbon I realized that the uh, green climate and green space was very important and something worth looking at. <laughs> I like the introduction because it's, it's got this personal side, you know, nothing like a family member to shake you up, right? And to <laughs> conscientize you to something. And um, what's actually interesting as well, you know, the point that you're coming to there is that, um, you know, being in, I, I call it green tech, although it's a big field, climate tech, auto tech, there's lots of different names associated with where we are. But the auto tech itself is fascinating because, I mean, essentially the car, right? It impacts on every single family, uh, you know, in, in the developed world, let's call it, and sometimes several times. The car is pervasive. It's everywhere. The cars, the vehicles, the transportation that we're using, and it also gets to airplanes and ships. Um, but so that's why that example given of Mercedes-Benz and Tesla, it's something with like material impact that we can really feel. So when we've got our car suppliers who... All of us handle at some stage every couple of years, they are telling us about these things. They are up to restraints. They are up to limitations and seeing how they've got to meet the next challenge. Otherwise, they're going to be penalized for it. That's something which is very close to heart. So even though, like, you know, we may think of, of solarizing our, our roofs or whatever other projects. And these may be, you know, I mean, these things are gaining momentum, but it takes a while. But the car is actually really on our doorstep every time we leave the home, except for me, of course, because I leave the home with my bicycle. But um, that's another story. I'll leave that maybe for later. So anyway, I appreciate the example. And it's fascinating. But like now getting back to your question, I'm challenging you on that one, right? So Mercedes are being kept up at night wondering how they can kind of actually come to the game quickly enough and efficiently enough, let's call it, to survive in this game. Okay. Um, and Tesla came to the party really early. They drove a, they drove a faster horse into the stadium. Um, where are you seeing now? Uh, I know you also work in automotive, right? I mean, uh, you, uh, I believe you've got some activity there from Axis. What's your feeling? Where is it moving at the moment? What is the challenge right now? 
Look, last week, when you, we just were talking about the car companies, and really, as we know, the car in your driveway pretty much is in your driveway 95% of the time. And maybe for you, it's a little bit higher than that. But just last week, General Motors, which has a venture arm, they invested in a wind-catching company uh, from, from, um, from Norway. And the company is interesting because why would you think that General Motors is focusing on collecting energy from the wind, but they're seeing the world and energy as relating to their whole mandate of moving into an entire electric fleet in, in a few years. And once they get to that point, they're going to have a lot less money uh, earning from fixing cars because electric vehicles last a lot longer, have a lot less moving parts, and they're going upstream and looking at the energy sources. So I, I was pretty pretty shocked when I read about that. So in, in terms of your question, we work a lot with um, corporate investors and maybe a little bit more to the point, innovation departments in large corporations. And many of these companies are very focused on specific business needs for business units. And the investment arms of these large companies generally follow the innovation arms. They're looking, if you take a company like Coca-Cola, they make billions of dollars a year in profit. When they have a venture capital department, that venture capital department is a little bit less focused on making money is even if they invest in the most successful unicorn and they earn a few hundred million dollars it's a very small amount of money for a large corporation but what they're looking for are synergies and we see that the largest companies in the world that we deal with are all very much focused on carbon reclamation on energy savings on, on how to make products more sustainable so i think that the corporate venture arms, which are now just such an important part of the whole venture scene, are very much focused on how to become more sustainable and how to have more green. And I think that it's not a desire to, to look for a profitable um, company as much as a, a desire to be more green in general, because that's what the world needs and that's because what their consumers are demanding. So exactly, I was going to get to that question and just ask it a little bit more challenging of sorts, right? We know the idea of greenwashing, and we've seen greenwashing on so many occasions where companies kind of like trying to get into the green, you know, trains to sound cool. Um, yet, this is exactly the point of conflict that I want to challenge you and understand your understanding from a financial point of view. It's all good and well that they're, um, you know, they're, they're talking the talk, okay? Because you want to seem like you're cool and you want to seem like you're doing the right thing. And that's great. I'm not putting that down in any way. Um, but when you're mentioning, for example, these uh, venture capital arms of corporates, right, they are certainly looking for profits. That is their mandate fundamentally, right? I still think that that's their fundamental driving force. I'm, I'm hoping it's enlightened and that it's going to become, you know, uh, value-based as well. But fundamentally, they are going to make decisions, I believe, on, uh, you know, on the bottom line. The bottom line, once again, may be long-term and a bit more long-term than we think now because they realize that, you know, took the example of the car companies, it's not just next year and next and the year after, it's 10, 15, 20 years down the line that they've got to be thinking about. So how do you see the, you know, the dollars, um, you know, the dollar calculation working out with these VCs that they seem to be uh, warming up to the whole green tech investment side? Why, why are you really seeing are they seeing, I mean, you've given so far, you've been a great advocate of the fact that they're all waking up to this. Um, are they really 
um, understanding or believing or committing themselves to the fact that this is where their future incomes are going to be. Okay, I, I just want to just uh, take that point for a second. The, the primary sources of venture investing are either financially focused venture capital funds, or let's just say corporate venture capital funds or exits, which could be a trade sale or an IPO. I think that if you look at the traditional venture capital firms that are say, specifically looking at Israel, their primary focus is a seven year to 10 year horizon. And most of the investments, the vast majority of those investments are generally in software. When there's any kind of innovation connected to hardware, they're very much more reluctant to invest in those companies. So I think that the, the source for funding for most of the green energy focused companies are coming from the corporate venture side. There are also family offices which have sometimes very significant investment mandates, but those companies do have a social mandate and those companies are a little bit less focused on the financial results. And I personally do believe that the corporate venture funds are a little bit more focused on the synergy and the overall aspect than they are in the specific financial returns. Uh, to, to your point about whether it's it's good business sense or whether it's greenwashing, we've had this discussion, again, going back to my daughter, we've had the discussion about some of the largest energy companies that have allocated multi-billion dollars to invest in alternative and renewable energy. And she looks at it as complete greenwashing. But on the other hand, a lot of these companies that are starting out, they really need that money. And while the corporation might get PR efforts from investing in those companies and are making zillions of dollars now, especially on the rising price of oil, that money is still needed. Many of the traditional venture firms will invest in companies once they get to a level where they have a number of large corporations behind them. But I don't think that it's only greenwashing for these companies. Just this morning, I received an email from one of Germany's largest chemical companies, a company called Evonik. Now, Avonik has invested in an Israeli company. They're a large chemicals uh, company, and they just announced a 150 million euro sustainability tech fund. And this is a company that is looking specifically for improving processes in the chemical industry. It's a German company, as I mentioned, and, th and that's what they're looking for. They're looking to how to make um, how, how to make products more sustainable. They just invested in a company in America that makes uh, mRNA vaccines, the materials for those vaccines. And e even something like a vaccine has an element which needs to be sustainable. So there are so many different types of companies that are starting to realize that the entire vertical integration from the raw material until the consumer has to be improved for their care about the environment, and sometimes a little bit less than than their bottom line. Yeah, I mean, so it's a great, um, you know, segue to that um, that sustainability everywhere, so to speak, in every industry and in every space, it's got its place, right? And not only that, I was just listening to a recent podcast as well, um, and they were describing how um, you know this drive kind of I think lessons learned from COVID among them and supply chain problems. Um, and when you integrate that with also the, the, the complexity and the comp and the, the challenges um, of the carbon wastage and, and excesses, you want to, there's going to be a big local uh, manufacturer, it seems, right? I mean, for many, many years, the West has kind of outsourced its manufacture to China, among other places. Um, and 
but when you actually manu- when you actually outsource your manufacture to places where there's cheaper labor, for example, initially and until now, it's made a lot of sense from the bottom line at least. But then you've got to ship your thing all the way back around the world. So when you start paying a carbon tax and you start paying, that's money, that's extra manufacturing costs, basically, besides environmental costs. And so we're going to see a lot of changes that um, I think the manufacturing sector is going to move locally to other markets, again, back to their home markets and, to, and, and, to, and closer to home markets. And that's going to stir a whole need for reinvestment in that space. And then once you're reinvesting in trying to restock factories and build up software to, to produce things again, that's going to demand that, hold on, you can't just go and do it in the most uh, carbon abusive way possible because mostly, as you said, the, the consumers don't want it. And there's a, there'll be a price to pay on the bottom line because you're going to be paying for this stuff. And so this is where, like, also, I'm looking for those, uh, that understanding. I don't know if you've got any, if you've thought about this issue at all, but like the carbon economy, right? The price tag on carbon, which is being debated, and it's very, very unclear exactly how to define it. Do you see that this calculation has kind of sneaked into um, into that perspective of these both these the, the VC funds, the other funds, the family funds, all these different funds? Are they seeing that there's bottom line impacts already that they have to think about now in that? Look, I, I think again, uh, going back to these discussions I have with my daughter, I think that the the trading of carbon credits and buying of carbon credits from poorer countries to more wealthy countries, it is a fiction. It doesn't really change the use of carbon in the world. It just allows some com- countries to be more positive and some countries to benefit from that. So I, I don't, I actually agree with her. I think that this whole trading carbons and buying and selling credits that doesn't help the world all that much. It just increases the awareness and maybe brings some money to to some of the poorer countries, which isn't a bad thing. I, I do think that the consumers are a little bit less focused on the carbon utilization. I think that the EU, which leads in so many different areas for regulation, drives innovation in so many different ways. When the EU decides, as an example, that all telephones and computers have to use a standard charging uh, device. So that means that Apple and Samsung and Huawei and, and HP and everybody else have to use the same device. So when you charge something, there's one charger. And when you buy a phone, you don't also get a charger that you don't have to throw out the old one into the garbage. So that, that makes a very big impact. Of course, Apple is fighting that. Well, you know, we can't supply the same services if we use a standard, um, you know, universal uh, charging point. And I think that that is a regulation that's mandated by the EU. I mean, similarly, you know, it's not a carbon issue, but the EU is mandated that inside cars will be a device that monitors whether there's a heartbeat in a car so that the amount of children who are left in cars unattended and sadly die many times, that won't happen. So that's an innovation that was brought on by regulation. I think different countries around the world are using the importance of carbon and the the rising price of energy to figure out how they can regulate certain industries to make them more efficient. I I don't think all the demand is coming from consumers. You know, you you and, 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 and your home might use less plastic cups, but you know, when you buy a new toy for your child and that toy is wrapped in eight levels of plastic and, and comes in a box from Amazon that, that is huge uh, and, and has so much packing material and then that box has to be thrown into garbage and the garbage has to be collected by a polluting truck, that there's so many aspects that, that you don't really think about. 
But I, but I do think that the issues with the supply chain are also going to force changes in the way that people use less materials. You know, if, if there is an issue with the number of trucks of, of ships that come, come into an ocean port, we were up north uh, over the weekend, and you can see off the coast of Haifa, all these large container ships that are lined up in the, in the water because they're waiting to be unloaded. And, and so many of the products in those containers uh, are not so efficiently packaged. And if you were able to save even you know 30% of the shipping volume, there'd be a lot less trucks idling uh, on highways, a lot less ships that are sitting in the ocean. So I, I think that the supply chain issues are going to impact us and make us more efficient. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that that's a opens up a huge wormhole in terms of the uh, the consumerism culture, right? And so that's why uh, there, there is a play here with the consumer, the end consumer, because right now they may be having not the greatest of impacts, let's call it, but the fact is when, when, when we're seeing these fundamental issues that consumers need to change their behavior because we don't need to buy so much stuff and we don't need to do so much, for example, the fast fashion industry that we have to buy clothes several times a year to keep up to date and throw away massive amounts of materials. And that is just a huge amount of, of, of carbon going down the drain for no reason, in a sense. Um, there, there's a lot of behaviors that will start impacting and will kick in, I think, and we'll see, hopefully, as I say, less need for transportation and less need for so many ships lining out of Haifa and other ports. Um, anyway, it's a, it's a space which we want, to, we want to keep seeing how it's going to unfold and how fast it's going to unfold. But I think um, you mentioned before, the, the carbon trading, I've got my own opinion on that. I don't agree fully with you and your daughter in terms of the, the um, kind of uh, the real world effects of it. But the consciousness side, the educational side is I think quite profound. Um, it's knocking up our consciousness level of doing things um, substantially. And that will impact down the road on our consumer behavior. So it's gonna take some time to happen. But I think all the, um, the, the warning signs are shining and lighting up all over the place and they're gonna be impacting. I want to skip to the next question, Ed, okay? Um, when you are coming as a, uh, an investor or a matchmaker for investors, okay, and you're looking into startups needing funding, and the big debate we always have between uh, the people in the startup versus the technology in the startup, um, I'm relating now to the green technology in particular. Are you actually seeing um, a, uh, an importance, an, an over, uh, kind of an emphasized importance on um, some kind of green sustainability agenda of those startups, or am I uh, before my time? When we work with large corporations, we generally try to fill a need and they have a problem and they're trying to solve it. And those are the startups that we believe are, are have the most opportunity for success. And to your point about the team, the team is as important or more important than the technology because it's all about the people and are they able to deliver. We had a conference a couple of months ago where we focused on um, the green view in certain sectors such as fintech, such as mobility, retail, and also health and sports tech. In all of those startups that presented, and we looked at over 100 startups, every one of them is starting to be aware of the green angle. I don't think that it's the primary business driver, but I think it's become a subject that investors, corporate and VCs are starting to ask about because the companies that 
are, are pure financial investors, venture capital, where are they getting their money from? Many of those companies are getting money from large corporations. So similar to universities that are now divesting from uh, investments in fossil fuels, if you have a large corporation that by themselves are investing in a venture fund or a family office, they're starting to ask questions about inclusion of those workers are those workers you know of all the different colors are they male female are they of color or not of color they're starting to ask you know which of the companies in their portfolio are green focused so i think that as long as the investors are asking it that does trickle down but but i just want to go to your point about consumers there's been a obviously a very big demand now for electric vehicles and i think if you look at uh, some of the world's most developed countries with the exception of China, it's still very difficult to have an electric vehicle. And, there, and there's something known as you know, range anxiety, where people live in an apartment house and they park on the street. You know, where do you charge your vehicle? You know, what's going to happen when you need to go somewhere and suddenly the weather gets hot and you need to turn on your air conditioning or it gets cold and you need to turn on your heater and suddenly your battery is, is giving you a lot less range than you thought before. And I think that people, have an idea that they want to be more efficient they want to you know work more with electric vehicles but don't actually realize that hey you know is there a fast charging station nearby or is this something that matches with my lifestyle you know only you know one percent of vehicles sold are electric vehicles so there's a lot of buzz there's a lot of interest but you know are, are we at the time where you can completely replace your you know convert combustion internal combustion engine vehicle with a battery uh, driven car depends on where you live. In China, it's very easy to have an electric vehicle, but in the US and Western Europe, we're not really not there yet. And we're not there yet in Israel. So I think that it goes hand in hand. And there's a lot of hype about some of these new innovations that are green, but consumers are not always aware of, of what the implications are you know, in their homes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we see this. I see this and I view this and I, I notice this as well. We've got this like, continual conflict of interest within ourselves all the time, actually, as well. It's a very internal thing. Um, uh, you know, I, I, this gets down to it exactly because when, it's interesting, I mean, like give me a background. When I got into the field of intellectual property, I've been in the field for over 20 years, right? And it was just interesting for me because intellectual property and patents in particular were kind of a, a metaphor, okay, for kind of distilling technology. So, it's not that the patent is your technology, so to speak, but it's a way of kind of explaining and distilling and putting it down into its core elements, what's really innovative in this thing. And the actual process of patenting, um, it demands, uh, you'll see my point in a minute, okay, why I'm, why I'm going here. But it kind of demands that you, you, you build a claim set. Claims are kind of focusing on what your actual technology is, but it's not only your technology, it's how your technology compares to the existing technology. So. This is on a sense like, let's say, the existing technology in your field has got um, seven parts which make this engine run. And you have to innovate beyond that in order to deserve to get a patent or claim. So how do you do that? You have to cut the steps. Um, so instead of having seven steps, you've got five steps. Or instead of having seven parts, you've got five parts so for, for two very crude examples. So why, why I brought this example up is because um, sustainability agenda, when you're forcing this into innovation, and you're saying, hey, innovation to some degree, it's very in parallel because you're trying to cut steps in innovation. You're trying to get shorter, more efficient ways of doing things. Um, 
And so by definition, almost, you're trying to always improve performance by definition. That's what makes you able to produce, produce better performance or more efficient performance. Now, better performance is sometimes clashing with our sustainability agenda because I want to drive my car faster. I'm going to be putting more, more gas or more electricity on the pedal. Whereas if I want to do it more just like in terms of energy efficiency, and that's energy keeps on coming into every discussion here. Energy efficiency is something we have to consider now, not just overall efficiency of a mechanism that's producing something. And so that's when we get to this whole thing where um, I, I always feel that the, the, the IP side is very connected to the field because we're always trying to innovate to make things more efficient. Um, but I think just there's like a new red line, um, which has kind of emerged now with this whole new, um, you know, this green consciousness that efficiency is fantastic. Okay, but there's a larger perspective that efficiency can't come on the account of destruction, so to speak. Now, there's always destruction happening when we have manufacturing, when we're producing things, but at least we're becoming much more conscious to the fact that that, 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 that production has got to be conscious production. It's got to be considered and, and, de and recalibrated that with the world in perspective, right? So uh, we're seeing this in every sphere and every field, and it's just like, it's my little... A metaphor where I see IP tying into sustainability agendas in startups and other things. We want to see efficiency, absolutely. And we want to see um, more, 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 uh, more effective production and everything else which goes into why VC would invest in, in, in new technology development. But I think that that consciousness that you've brought up, I think, in the flavor of our discussion so far, is that there's a caring now. There's, a, there's an another agenda point. There's a long-term world agenda point, which kind of is everywhere and transcends everything. It's not always the driving force. Um, and long-term, so sometimes uh, often short-term just takes over long-term because of the importance, the urgency, let's say, not the importance. Um, you know, Stephen Covey's famous quadrant of importance and urgency, um, we have to think both important and urgent. And if we just think urgent, we lose important. And then we sacrifice fundamentals, which we're gonna need in the future. So I think it's the perspective we kind of need. Okay, so let me move on to one or two other questions. Yeah, I know that uh, we've been having a fruitful conversation. So we're kind of like, uh, I'm not going to get to all the questions that I wanted to ask you. Um, but let me get to the what, what's being perceived around town as a new vicious global recession, which may be descending upon us. Um, yes, we've been scared many times before to thinking this is happening and there's been fast recoveries in many occasions. But now it seems almost like a cola, like what they call the perfect storm. Okay. Uh, when this perfect storm hits, and it seems to be biting at the moment and spreading its wings very fast, um, the one big cut comes seems to come from the the VCs and the and the and, and the available capital to invest. Um, until now, we've had a great eight to ten year stream of just like wow, money's been free, and let's just pour it into whatever we think. Um, are things changing? Are you already sensing the changes? And are we, are you seeing that? Um, the maybe more limited uh, perspective of how much money is available right now, uh, are we going to see a change that we're going to be investing maybe in more urgent things as opposed to more important things? And this may set the whole sustainability agenda even backwards. Uh, we see this just one example being in the energy sphere with the, the Russian invasion in, in Ukraine. How uh, We thought, oh, gas, that gas was already moving beyond gas. Gas is still semi-clean. We want to go for full clean. And suddenly now within a space of six months, we're sort of clamoring all over how to produce more oil and produce more gas. Uh, do you see this thing as being a long-term um, you know, problem, kind of a challenge to our 2050 vision? 
Oh, you covered a lot of points in that, yeah, sorry. In that question. Uh, okay, I, I, I think that um, a lot of the investments, I guess I would just back up one step. If you look at the work that we do, we work a lot with what's known as open innovation. Open innovation are the innovations that are coming from outside of your organization. So if you take a company like Samsung or GM or Kimberly-Clark or, or Procter & Gamble, 90% of the innovations and the new products are coming from internal R&D. And every year they're putting lots of money into their research. Okay, about 10 to 15% of the innovations that they bring to market are coming from startups or from companies outside of their organization. Now, these companies are very long-term focused. Now, the incremental innovations, like if Coca-Cola decides to introduce, you know, Coke with a little coffee inside, now that's an internal innovation. They work on it for probably a few years. But these companies are actually always looking a few years ahead. I don't think that, um, to your point about urgent versus important, I, I don't think these large companies that are driving the economies around the world, they don't do anything too fast. I, I, I was talking, I mean, you mentioned, the Ukrainian inv uh, invasion. I had, uh, um, I had the pleasure of speaking to someone from Germany last week. Uh, she works for a region in Germany called the Nor NRW, North Rhine-Westphalia. It's the actual um, energy, uh, the actual main part of the German economy. 60% of their GDP comes from this region. And I was asking her about the $100 billion, which was just allocated by the German government to increase defense uh, allocations. And she said to me, look, I don't know where this $100 billion is coming from. We don't have it in the budget. I don't know where the government is going to get it from. But these are decisions that were made at, at the national government and they will be implemented you know, over the next five to 10 years because there is no money today for those things. I think that most of the VC investments um, are coming from investors who already have committed their money. And I think that the VCs right now are dealing with valuations of companies that have dropped significantly. I just received an email about a company in the robotics space. Uh, they're looking to raise money uh, through one of investment funds that we work closely with. Their valuation has dropped by 40%. So I think that the market and the, and the threat of, uh, of, a, of a recession has impacted the mindset of the startups and that they're starting to lower valuations and watch their money more carefully because they don't know what's going to happen next but the funds there are in israel over 400 funds these are already funded and these companies need to invest their money so some of the and going back to your previous point about you know the people or the technology well a company founder who's already gone through, had exits, knows how to bring a product to market, they're not going to drop their valuations because they know their product is going to succeed at a higher chance of success than someone who just has a good product or idea who might not know how to write, how to find the right type of corporate partner or investor. So I, I don't think that the money will dry up so fast. I think in almost every country that we deal with, and we deal with many countries around the world, the, these governments are starting to realize that the startups and scale-ups are driving their economy and they are giving jobs, they're giving innovation, they're giving young people a better place to work 
that more matches with their ideals and the whole green focus is certainly important to them so my personal opinion is number one i don't think the money has dried up number two i do think that the awareness of the importance of green is going to drive innovations and number three i do think that there's no such thing as short term i think that you need to look three years five years and seven years down the road if you're if you're in this space i'm, I'm loving the optimism and i'm glad to hear that it's already committed money because uh it, it stills my fears to some degree um, you know that uh, we're going to see a substantial impact right now and very fast and people are going to tighten their belts up and everything else. But I'm glad to hear. Glad to hear and I hope that's the case. Um, and I want to uh, get to another question here. Now, you are focused, I mean, I know that you're connected with many countries, with many representations in many areas, I think 40 plus uh, countries that uh, you do conferences in, you do events in, you, you make connections with. And my um, question is regarding to the Israeli innovation economy, the people that are here. How do we compare to the global scale? Um, you know, have you got any some kind of objective perspective on how the Israeli tech scene uh, in today's world compares with its, uh, you know, competitors and friends overseas? I, I think that um, I'm always amazed by Israeli innovations in so many new areas. I think that. We have in Israel now over 300 multinationals that have a presence in Israel. In the automotive sector, as an example, there are 20 brands of cars around the world, and 18 of those 20 brands have R&D or innovation centers in Israel, even though we don't even manufacture cars. But cars are becoming a computer on wheels. And these computers are driven by software, artificial intelligence, and, and those are the innovations that are coming out of Israel. I think that um, we work closely with uh, an, an energy-focused investor in England. This person worked for one of the world's largest energy companies. I remember he came to Israel a few years ago for the first time, and we introduced him to a number of companies. He was really very excited. They subsequently set up an investment arm and invested in many companies in Israel. And this guy is not Jewish, has no personal connection to Israel. About two years ago, he set up an investment fund in England, specifically focusing on green energy, a 300 million euro fund. And their mandate was only to invest in British companies. I met him about a month ago in England, and he was telling me that they're raising their second fund. But he needed to go back to his investors and tell them that they needed to expand the mandate to include Israeli companies because he felt that there just was not enough of, of out-of-the-box innovation thinking coming from England that would bring the excitement and the potential to his portfolio. Now, of course, some of these Israeli companies will not succeed, and some of them will partner with this portfolio. But th this wasn't the first time that I've heard it. I mentioned earlier today this German chemical company called Ivanik. They had no presence in Israel. They made an investment of $20 million in Israel, uh, in Israel about six years ago, which we, uh, which we introduced to them. And this company has now doubled down. They have two people in Israel specifically scouting for green technologies from Israel. So the world's largest companies are coming here. They're coming here because people here are always thinking of new innovations. And, and I do think that 
we do have competition. Many countries around the world are very much focused on innovation, but right now I think we have a very good position and I hope that we'll be able to maintain that. Okay, I, I love that. Maybe we can call ourselves Scandinavia of the Middle East. <laughs> I just think because, you know, somehow always uh, Norway, Sweden, Finland, they always leading the pack there from this point of view, especially in sustainable technologies. Um, and they're small countries. I mean, they're big countries, but they're small populations. Um, which is interesting as well from comparison point of view. So I'm hoping we can do that. And, 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 and that's fantastic. I, I like what you're saying. Do you have any um, hint, any, any hint of, uh, uh, of feeling of what do you think will be the next big thing from Israel in terms of green tech? Well, the world, if you look at the, uh, you had mentioned again earlier, the recession from the beginning of 2022, the stock markets around the world have dropped, you know, by 25% and in technology sector as well. And of course, that has a strong impact on valuations. Some of the companies have valuations have dropped by 80%, Netflix, PayPal and others. I think that the one sector which has had significant growth has been the energy sector because of the rising price of energy. But this has doubled down on innovations in energy. Just last week, I mentioned we had spoken to people from the NRW region. Well, there was a group of energy companies from Germany that came to Israel. They were looking at new innovations and specifically hydrogen is becoming one of the most important areas for energy production. And I think, um, that's an area which Israel has a number of really strong innovations. There's a company called H2 Pro, which raised over $100 million. And I think that that sector, alternative sources of energy with, with Europe moving away from Russian supplied uh, oil and gas has put a, a tremendous demand on alternative energy. So I, I do think that's an area which will become even more important. And I'm hoping that there will be continued uh, importance and focus uh, from Israeli companies. Okay, I like that, I like it. I, I have been delving a lot into the hydrogen uh, revolution, so to speak. Obviously we're talking, I think, um, you know, the need to kind of make hydrogen, like many energies can be made in various ways. And the green hydrogen is something we want to, you know, where it's actually made green and the sources are renewables that feed into the hydrogen production. And, and so I think it's, uh, wow, huge, huge potential and huge challenges to get there though. Okay, so we shouldn't underestimate those. So Ed, I wanna um, bring this to a close. Um, I've appreciated your time tremendously. And I wanna just ask a bit of a um, fictional question, but if I were to give you a magic wand and say, hey Ed, how would you change the world if you could? What stroke of, uh, of magic would you perform right now to kind of uh, make a big change, make a big impact in this, in this green world and the screening of the world? What do you think you would want to do? That's uh, a good question. Um, I think that the moving away from fossil fuels with the cost to the environment of pollution, raising the temperature uh, of the whole climate, I think it is a very big issue. And I think that if we could move countries to mandate requirements for electric vehicles, for moving away from fossil fuels to more renewable fuels. You know, I, I studied engineering, you know, quite a few years ago, focused on energy. There was very little attention spent on solar and wind and wave energy. And I think that it's time for the world to start saying, this is where we need to go. And we need to make sure that, that that governments are supporting private industries because it's only that combination will make significant changes. Okay. 
Well, I appreciate that and I can really understand and agree with that perspective. Uh, somehow we need the, the carrot and the stick. Um, you know, pure carrots don't always do the job and pure sticks don't do the job. Um, but uh, hopefully some combination can get us moving, continuing to move in the right direction. Um, I'm excited, I'm very excited from my point of view, seeing a lot of innovation as well. Um, I'm seeing, uh, I'm focusing more and more on the green agenda and I'm seeing tremendous, tremendous energies and, and goodwill of people really wanting to make change. Um, and I'm hoping that we can have the meeting place where both the, the investment money, um, you know, and the drive from government mandates and things like that will coalesce with this want from the ground, from the grassroots to really innovate and change the world so that our grandchildren and, and, and theirs would really have a more beautiful planet and a safer planet to live in. So we're gonna to get to still close. I once again appreciate your time. It's been wonderful chatting again and speaking. Um, we'd next have a and say, uh, hold up your big coffee mug and say uh, And if you had time to get your coffee before the call, but uh, yeah, okay. So have a great one and uh, look forward to good news and for great development in the industry and uh, all the best. Looking, looking forward to another chat in the future and wishing you all the best. Thank you for listening to Green Focus. We hope you were inspired by the episode. Remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts in order to stay updated when future episodes are released.